0: hello and welcome to another episode of nothing but net uh today we've got lots of nba talk some phil jackson some chris paul going to houston a little golden state talk but first we're going to talk about the nba draft our winners and losers uh from draft night which happened last thursday uh so mason who is your biggest winner from this draft
1: yeah, my biggest winner, um, is, well, actually I actually have two biggest winners, um, uh, and there are franchises that have been winning a lot lately, and that's the Warriors and the Spurs. They did this draft, like they have the past couple, um, for some reason unknown to me, the Bulls decided to basically just hand the Warriors the exact player they needed, um, for $3.5 million, and the Spurs picked up a great player at the end of the first round, um, I saw a tweet the other day and I thought it was hilarious and it was something like um, the three things that I hate people complaining about the most in the NBA draft and two of them were championship caliber teams just buying second round players from mediocre teams and the Spurs and everybody basically being mad at the Spurs for picking good players at the end of the first round like they all didn't have the chance to pick the same player 25 times before the Spurs had the chance.
0: Yeah, definitely both fair points. The Bulls one made me so mad because... I was sitting here watching the draft and when I saw the tweet that they drafted Jordan Bell I was like like they really salvaged something out of this draft that I didn't I didn't agree with them trading Jimmy Butler on draft night and so I was like oh they drafted Jordan Bell that I think it's a good pick for them and then you know a few seconds later when they announced that they traded it to the Warriors for cash it was like all right well they can't just they can't do anything right tonight and also like Jordan Bell fits so well with the Warriors like you said I mean he could he could play small ball 5 for them and it He's an incredible shot blocker and rebounder. I think he's going to have a good career there, or at least to start his career. And the Spurs, like you mentioned, uh, you, you also told me the other day, they also got Jaron Blossom game in the second round, uh, who is a player that I think they could develop into a rotational guy. Um, so, yeah, but definitely Warriors and Spurs winners from, drafts night, from draft night. My biggest winner was the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, they went into draft night, you know, hoping that a good point guard would fall to them. Obviously, a lot of good point guard in the top of the draft they had the number nine pick they ended up getting dennis smith jr who a lot of people think could be the best player from this draft he has legitimate superstar potential with his athleticism uh but people were worried because of attitude issues and you know work ethic and things like that but i think he's going to a situation in dallas where he could be the franchise player right away for a team that's you know, semi-rebuilding and i think that 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 it pretty much solidified uh, their future right there in picking up Dennis Smith.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I'll mention this later, but I think one of the most ridiculous reasons that Dennis Smith kind of fell down the draft board just because he wasn't as big as the other guys. And I mean, at no point in NBA history, I'll I'll, know, I may save this for later, but at no point in NBA history have point guards been required to be six, five. Um, so I think he was overlooked a little bit there just because of his size, but I agree. He's going to be a great player for the Mavericks. And I think that they have enough talent at this point to start competing in the playoffs really.
0: Yeah. I think that it'll be interesting to see how much Dennis Smith progresses in his first year. I think they're probably going to try and build around a core of him, Harrison Barnes, and hopefully Nerlens Noel, who's probably their biggest priority re-signing in the off season. Um, but I'm not sure about playoffs next year. I'd have to look at all the teams, especially with Minnesota improving uh, and then the Rockets. Well, I guess the Rockets were already in the playoff picture. But, yeah, I'd have to look at all the teams. But definitely, like, in the next few years, they're they're going to be right back in it, you know, once Dirk retires. Uh, another winner that I had was the Hornets, and pretty much for the same reason as the Mavericks, Um, because they got a player who fell to them that really fits their needs, and they probably didn't expect to fall to them, and that was Malik Monk. Right now, they pretty much don't have a two-guard. They start Batum and Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, and uh, they played Marco Bellinelli there, the two, and Jeremy Lamb, and those guys didn't really fit the roles that they wanted, and Malik Monk, probably the best shooter in the draft, and he has, I wouldn't say superstar potential, uh, he's kind of small, not a great defender, and really all he's known for is scoring. But I think he can be an elite scorer on the NBA level, and so him falling to the Hornets was huge for them.
1: Yeah, they finally get a uh, a second starting caliber shot creator, um, which is what they've been missing for a long time. Kemba Walker having to shoulder um, most of the most of the offensive load there, um, and then they were also able to pick up Dwight Howard. Obviously, he's not going to. Shoulder much of a load at all on offense, but it should be interesting to see how all those pieces fit together and what they're able to do this year.
0: Yeah, Dwight Howard, that was an interesting trade. Uh, Definitely, I think we probably agreed that uh, the Hawks could have gotten more for him. Uh, You can't even really call it a salary dump because... Uh, Miles Plumley and Marco Bellinelli's contracts put together is almost the same as Dwight Howard's. And, you know, Miles Plumley still has four years on his deal. So it's not like it's not like uh, they got an expiring contract.
1: I agree. Um, my second winner is freshman um, with all the stuff in the news about potentially not seeing any one and done anymore, which I am definitely in favor of. Uh, you kind of see it go out with a bang with this draft. Um, there were records set, I believe, for number of freshmen in the first round and the number of draft picks before somebody other than a freshman was drafted. Um, and in fact, just young players in general. I don't think the first senior was drafted until the 29th pick. I think the 29th and the 30th pick were both seniors. But other than that, you know, there were some very young players being picked. Um, so that may be the last time that we see all these freshmen going in the draft.
0: Yeah, definitely uh, interesting uh, because it wasn't really a storyline coming in. I guess we always see the younger players get picked first, but then you know the record number was a bit of a surprise. Uh, the, and you mentioned how long this is going to last because Adam Silver did say recently uh, changing the age rule is one of their highest priorities right now. And so if he gets it done within the next year, great. Uh, I hope it doesn't take longer than two years to get it done. I personally would like to see a system where players can come straight out of high school, and if they decide to go to college, then they should be tied to that for two or three years because I think the one-and-done rule has hurt college basketball, honestly.
1: Yeah, and to be totally honest, it's not even one-and-done, it's half-and-done. They go to school for a semester, and then they're allowed to just fail all of our classes the second semester because they know that they're not going to be there, so...
0: Yeah, so another winner that I had uh, was shooting workouts. This is a fun one because uh, Luke Kennard was not particularly, I mean, he was probably late first round. Uh, Mid to late first round and then he had a workout in front of the Lakers and I think Chris Paul was there I think most NBA teams were there, but I remember Magic Johnson on the sideline there And he just destroyed. He just, he knocked down everything He really flashed his shooting skills and he shot up the draft boards He ended up getting picked 12th by the Pistons and so that's one of the reasons Also, Bam Adebayo uh, center out of Kentucky, I guess you might be able to call him a power forward, uh, wasn't really projected to be a lottery guy. Uh, you know, he's a little bit small for a center, and, you know, in this day and age, you probably want someone who's bigger and, if not that, more skilled. And then he had a workout where he just. He just dropped a bunch of long-range threes. And after he got picked 14th by the Heat, someone asked him, hey, how do you think you got this high? He said, well, people didn't think I could shoot. And so I showed them that I could shoot, and now they like me. I thought that was really interesting because he's not a good free-throw shooter, and so that's not a good thing. And two, he didn't shoot at all in college. So it's interesting because I wonder if he can sustain that workout success in the NBA.
1: Yeah, you mentioned free throw shooting. Um, That's one of the things that people typically use to measure how good an NBA player will be over his career behind the NBA three-point line. Um, And it's weird because you see a lot of prospects coming out now um, that... I mean, even look at, like, Lonzo Ball or Markel Fultz. They have some pretty good, or at least good enough, three-point shooting numbers. And then their free throw numbers are a little bit lower. And so, you know, some of these guys like Chad Ford and Kevin Pelton are continually bringing up, hey, maybe they're not going to be as good three-point shooters as you think they are. But I think that's really interesting how much three-point shooting does affect draft stock now. So, Um, you mentioned Magic Johnson. He is another one of my winners. I am already a huge fan of what he has done for the Lakers. I'm not a fan of the Lakers franchise, but I am a huge fan of his decisions that he's made so far. Um, Already getting rid of a terrible contract that everybody and their mother knew was a terrible contract in Timothy Mozgov. Um, Dumping D'Angelo Russell not only to make room for Lonzo Ball, but also just getting rid of some bad blood, really some immaturity that you know, typically franchises except for the Kings don't stand for. Um, so I, I think he's doing a fantastic job. Um, I think the Lakers are going to improve quicker than most people think they will because he's at the helm.
0: Yeah, I do like the the moves that he made. I think D'Angelo. The D'Angelo trade was interesting to me because I, th- I still think D'Angelo is going to be a, a really good player. But uh, I think it was good of him to, to kind of assess his leadership ability and say, hey, we're not okay with his leadership abilities. And so we're going to draft someone who's a little bit better of a leader, and we're going to get rid of the guys who could be toxic to our team. So I think that was a good move by him. Uh, my last winner of the draft is Eagle Scouts, uh, Josh Hart. Becoming the first, I believe he's the first Eagle Scout in in NBA history, uh, if I'm not mistaken. He was picked in the first round out of Villanova.
1: No, he's not the first one.
0: Who's the other one?
1: Mark Madsen. Okay. He was picked in, oh, are you kidding me? He was picked uh, 29th overall in 2000 by the Los Angeles Lakers.
0: Oh my, is he the only other one? He might be. Let me look. All right, so this just in, Josh Hart, the second Eagle Scout in NBA draft history, and the second Eagle Scout the Lakers have picked in the NBA draft, and at the end of the first round.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting little factoid. I, I had no idea that there weren't any Eagle Scouts. I, I don't know what I expected, um, but that's kind of cool. My last winner is players that have good size for their position. Um, you, Like I mentioned earlier, and Ben even talked. You, ben, you even talked about it a little bit. Malik Monk dropping down the draft boards. Dennis Smith seemed to drop down the draft boards a little bit, um, while players like Lonzo Ball and Markel Fultz, who are six five point guards, players like Larry uh, Markinen, who's a seven foot power forward, Josh Jackson, six eight wing. All these guys that have tremendous size and length for their position seems like they're almost being overvalued um, because of that. I mean, you look at players like like somebody that we're going to talk about later, Chris Paul, six feet tall um, with shoes on, probably probably one of the best point guards in NBA history, Isaiah Thomas, 60th overall pick, you know, he made the claim that if he was six, five, he'd be the best player of all time, which he very well might be. Um, But with all this analytics and things that are going on now today, I think people are tending to overvalue size, but, You know, on the flip side of that, these guys that are huge are benefiting in the draft because of it.
0: So moving on to the losers, uh, who is your biggest loser?
1: My biggest loser for probably the second or third year in a row is a tie between Chad Ford and Woj for tweeting picks before they happen. We understand that you're both tremendous at your jobs as reporters, but we're also watching TV for the fun of it. So... Maybe just don't release all the news beforehand.
0: That's that's funny that you mentioned that. I don't know if you saw the point in the second round when Edmund Sumner got picked by the Pacers and Mark Tatum came out to say uh, with the fifty, I think it was fifty third pick, the Indiana Pacers select, and then a bunch of people in the audience yelled Edmund Sumner, and then he just started laughing and he said Edmund Sumner, and, and it was just like this is what we've come to. With with I, mean, I think Woj probably started this trend, and it seems like every year people just look at their phones now instead of the draft, but that's gonna change because his Woj starts at ESPN this Saturday so it'll be interesting to see how the draft goes next year um, my biggest loser whoever plays the three for Orlando poor Aaron Gordon has been stuck playing the three for Orlando ever since he got drafted there and he is a four and I think he can be a really good four um, Orlando coming into this draft I mean I, they pretty much need a lot of things really other than Aaron Gordon they could use really everything and they ended up going with Jonathan Isaac, who I think is probably best at the four as well. I think I don't think either of those guys can play center, so let's rule that out for a second. They're too. I think Aaron Gordon is too small. Jonathan Isaac six ten. He's he's pretty thin. I don't think he can guard fives. Um, and both of them I think are the are best at at the four. I don't think they're good enough shooters. Uh, or ball handlers, shot creators to play the three. And so whoever play, ends up playing three for Orlando, I feel bad for that. I feel bad for both of them because they're going to have to play together at the three and the four position.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've seen turnover in the front office in Orlando, but it still seems like there's something down there that they just don't understand that there's five different positions and five different skill sets. Um, like you mentioned, Aaron Gordon, it's, when he first got drafted there, I think – For some reason, he is being heralded as as a potential combo forward, which maybe he is a little bit. But to me, trying to make Aaron Gordon play the three is about the same as trying to make Blake Griffin play the three. And he was never supposed to play the three. Neither is Aaron Gordon. Jonathan Isaac I can see maybe a little bit. But like you said, I don't think he has enough guard skill to do it. Um, So we'll see what happens. Yeah, my next loser is Milwaukee, which I was actually really surprised by because I feel like Milwaukee – has been good at swinging for the fences in these drafts. And if they're not swinging for the fences, then they're making, you know, at least laudable picks, making good picks. And this one was just confusing to me. They picked uh, Wilson out of Michigan. And, you know, while he does kind of a little bit fit the style of what, uh, what they're looking for there, you know, athletic players that can get up and down the court um, it, he just was not the best player available, first of all. I don't think he was in the tier—he was even in the right tier for where they were picking. I think there are players that were clearly better than him. Um, and it—you know, I would, I would be okay with it if—I would be okay with this pick if it seemed like the player just had a ton of upside, even if he wasn't great now. Like a Giannis pick or a Thonmaker pick, but this was not that. And it seemed like they got away from who they were as an organization and taking chances on players— And just took a guy that you know probably isn't going to be great, but isn't that great now either?
0: Yeah, two things I do want to mention there. You you actually did mention the turnover, uh, the front office turnover in Orlando. That's that used to be the front office in Milwaukee. John Hammond from Milwaukee going to Orlando uh, and picking you know his uh, his potential guy in Jonathan Isaac, big big potential guy. Uh, And with a huge wingspan, yeah. Yep, huge wingspan. Um, And so then in Milwaukee, there was no one knew who the GM was going to be. People thought it was going to be Justin Zanuck, who was kind of lined up to be the next GM, and the Milwaukee uh, owners kind of held it out, didn't hire anyone. And then a few days before the draft, it might have been a couple days, I think, they just decided their their director of player personnel, John Horace, was going to be the next GM. And everyone was really surprised, like, who is this guy? Why didn't we hire Justin Sandek? We couldn't have gone after, like, David Griffin, maybe. And so now they're sitting here like a day before the draft. That's probably had something to do with drafting DJ Wilson. I mean, it's really interesting, the selection they made. I think they should have taken OG Ananobi. honestly. I mean, that really fits their style, a guy who can play multiple positions and has a lot of potential and is athletic. Uh, And so yeah, I I totally agree with you on that. So another loser for me, Portland's bigs. Uh, Obviously they traded for Yusuf Nurkic at the trade deadline. Everyone thought it was a great trade. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic they're probably looking at as their center of the future. Uh, We thought – Maybe going to give him an extension come this October or just sign him as an RFA next summer. Uh, Well, they drafted Zach Collins. Not only did they draft Zach Collins at 10, they traded up to draft Zach Collins at 10. Now, Zach Collins can probably play the four. I think he's best as a five. Uh, But it was still an interesting pick because you have your center of the future and you're drafting a top 10. You're trading up to draft a center in the top 10. So I was confused by that one. And then with their second, uh, first round pick, they drafted Caleb Swanigan, who is another, he's a power forward center guy. Uh, I mean, he shoots threes, so that helps, but he's a big dude who probably can't guard out on the perimeter. And so they have just a loaded front court right now of young, unproven guys, and I'm not sure where they're going with this.
1: Yeah, I'm not uh, too upset about the pick for Zach Collins at number 10. I think he had great value at number 10. I'm not sure why they traded up for him there. You said that he could play the four a little bit. Even if he can play the four, he's not the type of four that you want to play next to a guy like Nurkic. Um, you want to play a four next to Nurkic that can stretch the floor a lot better and has a lot quicker feet. Um, or even if they can't stretch the floor, maybe somebody, you know, that can at least fly around and defend multiple positions, like maybe like a Jonathan Isaac type player. Um, obviously they would not have the ability to pick them at 10, but that's just an example. Um, and then Caleb Swanigan didn't really make sense to me. I mean, maybe if they didn't draft a power forward with the first pick, but you know, there's no reason to get a third guy that's just going to be huge and and clogging up the lane.
0: Yeah, and the other thing that bothered me about this was their their payroll is so locked up right now with all the contracts they signed last summer. And so I thought maybe like trade up to get a top 10 pick, great. But then probably say, you know, we're done here. Like you don't need another fir- first round rookie scale player in your books with all the money that you have. You're probably going to be paying a luxury tax next season and you might not even make the playoffs. So definitely confusing for me.
1: Yeah, I agree. And even if you were to trade for that guy, why take a power forward? What you need is another offensive creator. And even though Zach Collins has a pretty polished offensive game at this point for his age, he's not somebody who's going to create his own shot when there's five seconds on the shot clock. My third loser of the draft, I mentioned him earlier, D'Angelo Russell, um, for two big reasons. One, I feel like just getting shot down by Magic Johnson like that is a huge hit to your reputation no matter what everybody else in the league believes about you. I mean, that's a guy who has tremendous respect around the league for his ability to – First, play basketball. Second, understand the game of basketball probably better than anybody ever has um, on par with like a LeBron James. And then third, the ability to lead a team now. Um, the second reason that it's really bad for D'Angelo Russell is he's going to the Nets. And maybe it's fine if you're a young player going to a rebuilding team, but the Nets are like the level below rebuilding because their rebuilding won't even start until they can actually have their own draft picks five, ten years from now, wherever that is.
0: But I thought this was an interesting move by the Nets, just because I think I told I told it to you like this: they can't get lottery level talent any other way, and they haven't in the past few years because all their picks are gone. So they got to trade for lottery level talent, and I think it was a fine trade for them. But yeah, I agree with you, D'Angelo Russell. Rough situation for him, kind of being you know the number two overall pick going to LA has got to be pretty glamorous, and then coming to this Brooklyn team. Uh, but I think I think he'll have a chance to get better, uh, maybe with some better guys around him and less drama so i think that's good for him uh my next loser was boston wings uh they have so many of them this is kind of the same thing with portland bigs and i know i understand that in the top of the draft you want to pick the best player available third overall boston went with jason tatum from duke i don't think he was the best available i think there were probably three or four players that are going to be better than him we'll see how that pans out I could be totally wrong here but they drafted Jalen Brown third overall last year and he's also a three Jason Tatum maybe they think can play the four uh, but I think that there was they, they had the number one overall pick and they traded down to the third overall pick because they thought hey we were going to draft Jason Tatum number one overall anyway
1: I don't know if they could have found a deal with the sons or the kings or someone like that, um, where Ainge would have gotten the the full package of assets that he wants to trade up to the number one. Um, so maybe it wasn't available there, but you know, I think it was pretty clear going into this draft that after Fultz and Ball, there was not a significant drop off, but at least a noticeable drop off in talent. Um, and so Boston really was just kind of, you know, reaching into a grab bag of players like De'Aaron Fox, Jonathan Isaac. Josh Jackson, Jason Tatum, all those guys I think could have been um, very good picks for them at number three. And so to select Jason Tatum at number three and just continue to clog up that rotation. My last loser on here, we mentioned it earlier, uh, is ESPN going back to when they made all those cuts, uh, making this Chad Ford's last draft with them. Um, I don't know about you, but One of the big things that has kept me interested in the NBA is the draft, and it has always been so much fun to see Chad Ford spend pretty much all his time throughout the late winter, spring, and early summer just helping fans walk through the draft process. Um, I've loved his big boards, his mock drafts, everything that he does, and I hope Woj is able to keep up um, all of the great things that Chad Ford had going for him at ESPN.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree with you there. It was it was confusing to me why ESPN let him go, really, because at least according to the latest report, uh, ESPN is only bringing on Woj and front office insider Bobby Marks from the vertical. They're not bringing in any of the Draft Express guys, and so I feel like Chad Ford could have stayed there and done draft stuff for them. My last loser is injured players. Uh, obviously, we know about Harry Giles being, like, the number one recruit out of high school. He went 20th overall, which I thought was kind of nice. I think people maybe expected him to go a little bit lower than that. Uh, guys like OG Ananobi, who people thought, hey, this guy has, like, top five potential in this draft. He went 23rd overall. Good for the Raptors, but not for him necessarily. And then a guy like Ike Anibogu, uh, who... Uh, I think Draft Express had him going 15th overall in like one of their early mock drafts. Uh, some news came out about a uh, potential medical red flag and he drops all the way to the 47th pick. Uh, Jonathan Motley from Baylor. He I remember I saw a tweet from Jason King and he said he called a scout and said, hey, is there any chance Jonathan Motley drops out of the first round? And the scout laughed at him like there's no way he's going out of the first round. And then supposedly another medical red flag there, something to do with his knee. He goes undrafted and, you know, he signs with the Mavs. So we continue to see injured players drop uh, in the draft. But, you know, we've seen some of them make come back. So we'll see what happens. All right, so uh, next topic, uh, Phil Jackson reportedly parting ways with the New York Knicks and owner James Dolan. This one, everyone kind of felt like it was a long time coming. Uh, Jackson, the highest-paid GM in all of sports, not just basketball, making $12 million a year. He was on a five-year deal. Recently, Dolan picked up his uh, – the rest of his contract, which was on an option at this point, he picked up the remaining two years and then, you know, goes ahead and says, hey, we're parting ways. So that was definitely interesting.
1: Yeah. Um, Phil Jackson as a GM started out as a train wreck and then just got worse every year, um, culminating in trade rumors about Chris Porzingis, rumors that they were going to re-sign Derrick Rose, and basically him just shunning – the best player that New York has had in the past decade in Carmelo Anthony. Um, I didn't think it was a good idea to bring him on in the first place, but, you know, New York isn't famous for making good decisions.
0: Yeah, and uh, one guy I think this impacts is Frank Tillakina, uh, drafted eighth overall uh, by the Knicks. Uh, Jackson, uh, assuming he made that besi- he made that selection, uh, he was kind of brought in because you know he's a guard that fits that triangle offense. You know, he's a big guard that can shoot the ball, but's not a great shot creator. And um, it's interesting to me because. When the draft boards were coming out, people thought, hey, you know, the Knicks could get Dennis Smith here. Maybe it's not a great idea because he's not really want the Knick, what the Knicks want to do on offense, so maybe they should go with Tilakina. And you have to think that had to go into some of the draft decision. I personally think Dennis Smith is a better prospect than Frank Tilakina. And so this hurt, I think this hurts the Knicks in the future because they missed out on a guy that now the Mavs have and I think could be a superstar.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Not only is um, Dennis Smith a better prospect overall, but he's also a much better player for what I assume the Knicks will be running in just modern-day pick-and-roll. Um, so it will be interesting to see how Frank develops. I don't think he was you know, tremendously worse than Dennis. I would put him in the same tier, but um, yeah.
0: Uh, Potential replacements for Phil Jackson, I think it was Woj that reported that they were going to go pretty heavily after uh, Toronto President of Basketball Ops Masai Ujiri. Uh, Well-respected, one of the best GMs in the league probably. Um, Other guys, you know, David Griffin's still out there. Justin Zanuck is leaving Milwaukee. Uh, So, I mean, who do you think, do you think Masai would be willing to take that job?
1: I don't know. I mean, I, I, looking back at what he did leaving Denver to go to Toronto, um, obviously there was more opportunity in Toronto. But I think a lot of his reason for leaving was financial. So if the Knicks are willing to pay him as well as they pay Jackson or even better, I don't see why he wouldn't go.
0: Yeah, and one of the things, too, I think that might push him out is, is the situation in Toronto right now. You know, They're, they're not going to get past LeBron. And, you know, if they re-sign Lowry and Ibaka to big deals, they're going to be in luxury tax. And that's kind of a mess, honestly. If I was Masai, you know, unless I'm in love with the city of Toronto and where I am, I, I might seriously consider taking the next job. It's, it's going to be a bit of a challenge, but, you know, shaping a roster and figuring out payroll, and that's what GMs love to do, and I think that he would be willing to take that. All right, moving on to uh, blockbuster trade that went down today, Chris Ball going to the Houston Rockets, uh, in exchange for eight players, which is an NBA record breaking the uh, Kevin Garnett trade that Boston uh, completed with Minnesota that involved seven players. Chris Paul had an ETO with the Clippers worth about $24 million. Initially said he was going to decline that, and then he told the Clippers, hey, I just want to let you know I'm gonna, probably going to sign with the Rockets at free agency. The Clippers said, hey, we want something in return. And so they said, pick up that option and we'll send you the, to the Rockets for something in exchange. And I think this is interesting. You brought this up to me, why the Clippers would want to take on something in return if Paul is leaving rather than them going into full rebuilding. So what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I read the uh, – I forget who wrote it, whoever writes the um, the grades, all of these trades. Uh, it might be Pelton, I think. Um, but I was reading his article, and he gave the Clippers an A. And essentially the reason he was giving them an A was because all of these players allows them to continue to compete now and maybe try and bring back Jordan and Griffin, convince them that they're still going to win – but at the same time, a lot of these eight players that you mentioned are on very short-term deals, so they could shed um, they could shed salary very quickly next year if they wanted to. To me, I wouldn't even I would not consider this an A trade for the Clippers. I would consider this like a a, a D at best, maybe an F. Um, for two reasons: one, uh, you're not going to be able to compete with the Warriors without Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, and some more. And you're not going to get anywhere near that level of talent this year or next year. So why take on that salary when you can just immediately go on to rebuild mode? And second is the NBA is competitive, and while you might be, you know, have the mindset of trying to stay competitive, why would you help out another team like the Rockets by allowing them to keep some of the assets that they have while also taking on Chris Paul's contract. Because if you just let him walk, there's no way the Rockets are able to keep the same level of talent um, while signing Chris Paul. In fact, I think it would practically be impossible for the Rockets to sign Chris Paul and still project as many wins as they got last year if they were um, not able to trade for him.
0: Yeah, if Chris Paul had tried to to sign with the Rockets in free agency... They would have to have dumped um, Patrick Beverly uh, most likely, as well as you know one of their young centers, Chenanu or Montrez, and then probably also Ryan Anderson, one of the big contracts that they need to get rid of in order to sign Chris Paul, would be Ryan Anderson, who's making about 20 million next season, I believe. Um, so it, I think it would have been more difficult. Honestly, I, I agree with you. I think that the Clippers, it, they kind of helped them. They kind of helped out the Rockets in this regard. Obviously, the trade was very complicated as it was, that the Rockets had to trade for a non-guaranteed salary um, to send to the Clippers in order to complete the trade. But overall, I think that the Rockets would have had to completely retool their roster if uh, Paul had wanted to sign there in free agency. Um, So what do you you think about this roster so far? I mean, do you you think that they're like in terms of like competing with the Warriors, do you think that they need to add like another great player or do they just need a few like ancillary players?
1: I don't think they have a chance of competing with the Warriors regardless of what they do. And this is our next point after we finish talking about Chris Paul. Um, But, you know, I think in order to compete with them, they are a superstar away and fantastic role players away. Um, the Warriors are just leagues better than everyone else at this point. And not only that, they're only going to get better next year, even if they're able to lose a couple of role players, because Steph Curry and Kevin Durant will be in their second year together.
0: But you think about just the four players Chris Paul, James Harden, Trevor Ariza, Clint Capella. That's really good. Like, the, I, I understand when you're talking about the Warriors, you know, that's a whole nother level. But if you don't think about the Warriors for a second, those four players, that's, that's number one in the West. Uh, and, you know, defensively, they talked about this as well. Defensively, like Chris Paul, Trevor Rizzo, Clint Capella is phenomenal. Uh, the fact that they have Chris Paul now... Could potentially make James Harden a better a better defensive player. I mean, think about how much of a competitor Chris Paul is. He is going to be on Harden pretty hard about that defense. Um, I really think the only position they probably need to upgrade is the four defensive in terms of defense. But then you think about who's going to guard this team. I think really the only the only team that could guard the Rockets is the Warriors because with a lineup of Paul, Harden, Ariza, Anderson, Capella, you're going to need to switch everything. I mean, any pick and roll, any, any play that they run, there's going to be an open three-point shooter. There's going to be an easy drive to the basket. I think that the Rockets and Warriors are going to have historic offensive seasons next year like we've never even seen before.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned who can guard them. This is just kind of a little thing that I've been excited about. A couple years down the road, if Milwaukee is able to keep their team together, that's going to be a team that can shut down anybody, maybe even the Rockets or Warriors. Their defensive potential is off the charts.
0: It really is. Uh, but, yeah, so we, moving on to, to Golden State here, um, Your what's your philosophy here for the rest of the teams in the league? Yeah,
1: so I, when we were putting together our, our notes here, I wrote Golden State, and the question is, why is everyone trying to beat them? And the answer is, just give up. I mean, this team is so good, like, that – the, you just don't even compare them to any other team in the league um they're so far above anybody else in the east to begin with you know no competitor in the east is going to be able to touch them the hardest games are going to have to play are against are going to be against either the spurs um or the rockets and you see what they did to the spurs this year i mean given Kawhi leonard was out but if, even if he was healthy they would have demolished them um Like I said, Kevin Durant and Steph Curry are just going to continue to get better together. Iguodala most likely is not going to leave. Even if they have to replace a player like Sean Livingston, they're going to get ring chasers to continually fill out their role players and bench. Um, I mean, I just don't see this team losing until something like Klay Thompson decides he wants to be a superstar elsewhere.
0: Yeah, it it really is a phenomenal collection of talent, and Durant is... 100 percent committed to them despite being a free agent curry you have to believe he's not going anywhere but you did you did say iguodala you think he's going to stay there
1: i think he is going to stay he is at a point in his career where i think he has made plenty of money um you know people who just started watching the nba he has been a bench player for the warriors for a few years but back in the day when he played for denver when he played for philadelphia he was the guy um, he was first-team all-defense level player. He was, you know, a guy that could. Yeah, he was. He was like Ben Simmons before Ben Simmons. Um, and he he is just fantastic, and I think you saw when he won the first championship and when he won the Finals MVP how much he loved being a part of that team um, and a part of that culture. And I think I don't think that culture has disappeared at all with the appearance of Kevin Durant or with back-to-back championships. And so I don't see him leaving.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting because there are a lot of teams pursuing him. Minnesota really wants him, especially. Um, man, they could be they could be really good defensively if they had Iguodala. Uh Philadelphia wants him back. Uh, you know, try and mentor the young guys. There were a few more teams that I think were interested in him. And you know, if someone is someone out there just throws twenty million at him, it'll be interesting to see if the Warriors are. Uh, I don't think the Warriors are going to have space. Um, so I mean, if someone is willing to throw 20 million at him, it'll be, it'll be his choice. Um, you know, the money or, or, you know, his, his home now.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. I think it's actually funny. I saw an article. and I don't think anybody actually even wants him for 20 million. I think at this point you just can't beat the warriors anymore. So you're just trying to dismantle them. (laughs) That's an interesting, I I think that's a fair point. I read that article and I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Nobody can be, nobody can add enough talent to beat the warriors. So the only way you're going to take them down is from the inside.
0: I mean, that's that's another way of looking at it. Definitely, you know, if you can't beat him on the court, um, then beat him during the summer, during free agency, I guess. Coming up, uh, Summer League starts this Saturday in Orlando. Uh, Also, free agency starts this Saturday. I think we've done enough talking here. See you next month.